This season of Things Not Seen is sponsored in part by Loyola University's Institute for Pastoral Studies. Find out more at luc.edu slash ips. From PRX, the Public Radio Exchange, and Sandberg Media, LLC, I'm David Dalt with Things Not Seen. hopeful is that there are so many smart journalists out there who are committed to fact-finding. On today's show, we look at the changing face of religion reporting in the 21st century. We talk about it with the Chicago Tribune's Manya Brashear-Pashman, who's been a reporter on the religion beat for the past 15 years. Stay tuned. Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. In 2003, she joined the staff of the Chicago Tribune newspaper as their religion reporter. During her time at the Tribune, she's helped chronicle two papal transitions from Rome, the Dalai Lama's visit to Chicago, Protestant debates about gay clergy, progress and pitfalls of interfaith dialogue, and the emerging role of religion in American politics. She's also president of the Religion News Association, which is religion reporting's equivalent of the Associated Press. She earned a bachelor's degree from Appalachian State University and master's degrees in journalism and religious studies from Columbia University. She's also written for Time Magazine, the Dallas Morning News, Beliefnet.com, and the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina. Manya Brashear-Pashman, welcome to Things Not Seen. Thank you, David. So I would love to get started into the conversation by simply asking how it is that you gained an interest in religion. I mean, you've spent your life as a religion reporter. What was it that gave you the bug early on? (laughs) Uh, So I have to say I caught the journalism bug first before I caught the religion reporting bug. And that was growing up between Texas and North Carolina, where if you weren't Baptist, what were you? (laughs) And so there wasn't a lot of understanding about the various religious traditions. And to be honest, religion was something I didn't want to bother with because of that lack of understanding. It was nothing but trouble, and I just didn't want to get involved. And so I didn't take a single religion course when I went to college at Appalachian, but I did take journalism. And after college, went on to, to work for the Raleigh News and Observer, the daily paper there in the capital of North Carolina, and was asked at one point to write for the religion page. This was at a time when newspapers actually paid their staff writers to do extra work. And it was it was a golden age and uh, long gone. But uh, they asked staff writers to contribute to the religion page, and it paid well. So I raised my hand. And the first story I did had me hooked. I had been sort of searching for an excuse to go to graduate school to elevate my education and I had found it. I needed to go take some religion courses, uh, which I had avoided in college, and learn a little bit more so that I could learn what a religion story was and learn how to recognize it when I saw it. And so I continued to write religion stories for the News and Observer and then went on to Columbia University to get that dual master's degree. I was a bit of a guinea pig for that program, but it was a success. I mean, I gave me a year of journalism training with a course on covering religion, and then I did a year of religious studies, which is uh, the secular study, 
of religion versus, you know, as compared to theology, and then came to Chicago to be what they call a two-year resident. And it was the perfect place to become a religion writer. It's just an amazing religious landscape here. Yeah, and we'll get into all of that. But first of all, I'm dying to know, what was that first story that got you hooked? What Uh, (laughs) what did you report on? It was about a vineyard church that had been worshiping in a middle school gymnasium for many years and saving its money to build a worship space, um, a sanctuary. When the time came that they had enough money saved to do that, they realized they were worshiping God just fine in a middle school gymnasium. They didn't need a new worship space. What they needed was a ministry, and they went for the Ministry of Hospitality and opened a coffee house on a strip, kind of a main drag for college students in Raleigh, North Carolina. So it was very much like a kind of an like an indie coffee house where you could come in, study, and learn about the Lord. And you know, the headline for the story, of course, was Lattes for the Lord. And it wasn't just, just the opportunity to drink coffee. It was the opportunity to, to learn about the vineyard denomination and learn about evangelical Christianity in a way that I never had had that opportunity before, to ask questions, to challenge, and to really learn that this hospitality, this evangelism, to learn about evangelism from a different point of view, and to realize that if I was a religion reporter, I would be on the receiving end of learning about what people, you know, as a reporter, you want to hear the truth, right, with a lowercase t. You want people to be honest with you. But I learned that being a religion reporter, you were hearing what people believed was the truth with a capital T. And that was a really privileged position to be in, to be able to ask questions and just learn and listen with an open ear about their faith and what, what it motivates them to do. Well, let me dig in a little bit there. One of the reasons why I got started doing Things Not Seen was a radio program that I listened to several years ago, Fresh Air with Terry Gross. She was interviewing an anthropologist by the name of T.D. Lerman. Mm. And there's a point in that conversation where Terry Gross says to T.D. Lerman, who wrote a book on interviewing evangelicals about coffee with Jesus, where they go and they have this sort of imaginative engagement with their Lord. And there's a point where, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but it's a near quote where Terry Gross says, didn't you think that there was a time to tell these adults that it was time to get rid of their imaginary friends? And so I want, I want to ask you for a moment about, as you're reporting on religion, how you approach this. You've started to tell us a little bit about this, but tell us about your interview technique. What, in what ways do you bracket and in what ways do you welcome the strangeness and the otherness of the people that you're interviewing? That's a, it's a really great question because it's a challenge that religion reporters face, especially if they come into the profession with a belief of their own. You know, there are two schools of thought that uh, the best religion reporters are those that have no religion at all. They come at it with a clean slate, and so therefore they don't bring their own beliefs to class loud things up and, and make them question. They just you know listen with an open ear and clean slate. And then there's the other school of thought that religion reporters are actually better if they do have beliefs of their own because they get it. They get the devotion to a particular faith tradition, the attachment to ritual. The They get all of that because they have it in their own belief system. I don't know which one I ascribe to, or, or I think both. I've met very talented religion reporters from both schools. But I think that what makes you a professional journalist is you know, everyone has bias. You can't get away from it. And everyone has belief. You can't get away from it. It's part of what makes you human. And 
as a professional journalist, what you do is you set that aside and you transcend that to hear what other biases, what other beliefs are, and you respect that and you acknowledge that, you challenge that, and you accept that. And I think that that's part of what makes professional religion writers professionals, right? They are able to transcend their own beliefs and welcome others and and hear about and learn about others. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on the religion beat. We'll be back in a moment. You mentioned a moment ago that Chicago was just about the perfect place for you to come and do this kind of reporting. And for listeners who may have never visited the city or only know about the city from the crime statistics, Hmm. what is it about Chicago that makes it such a rich place to do religion reporting? I would say that it's both diversity and depth. There are so many different religious traditions in Chicago. In fact, I used to, when I would teach a class on religion reporting, I would kind of quiz the class, you know, give me a religion tradition, we'll write it up on the board, and we would end up with this dry erase board full of mainline, Protestant, Catholic, Jewish, Hindu, Zoroastrian, you name it, it was up there. And then I would step back and I would say, if it's not in the city, it's in the suburbs, or somewhere in this state, you will find it all here. And that's what makes Chicago so much fun to cover. But also the way that religion drives a lot of the politics here, a lot of what what ha- the activism here, a lot of what happens here in Chicago, there is a religious tie. I spent the day yesterday at Catholic Charities because they were addressing the very severe homeless problem that Chicago faces and has been in, it has been in the news recently that Chicago is trying to figure out what to do with particular homeless communities that have become established communities in Chicago. And, you know, Catholic Charities is is addressing that and has been addressing that. A couple weeks ago, we covered Catholic Charities again, opening a center for youth on Chicago's west side because violence is such a problem on the south and west sides of Chicago. So, you know, we have the Catholic Church addressing some of this. But then, you know, come to find out at Catholic Charities yesterday, which was opening, they were opening showers for the first time for the homeless that they were modeling this program after Fourth Presbyterian Church, a major Presbyterian church on Michigan Avenue, where members of Chicago Sinai congregation often volunteer. So, I mean, it's, it's something that really drives uh, what's going on in this city, and it's important to understand that. Well, and as you've been reporting on this, all of these different things in the city, and you've just mentioned the past two days, and there's a huge amount of things to talk about what's going on. How is it that you find these stories? Do people call you up and say, I've I've got a religion lead, or do you have connections, or in what way do you sniff out these stories? All of the above. They come to me with their own story ideas. I find them out through conversations with sources that I've built relationships with, and just going to church or going to synagogue or just being, you know, immersed in that community on a day-to-day basis, you discover things that, hey, that's a story, and you, you sniff it out that way. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on The Religion Beat. We'll be back in a moment.
Hey there, folks. It's David. Thank you so much for listening to Things Not Seen, and I hope that you're enjoying this broadcast with Manya Bashir Pashman. If you are, I wanted to let you know that there's a way that you can listen to even more of this interview. And you can do that by becoming a supporter of the show on Patreon. Patreon is a wonderful platform where you can help to support the show. You make a small donation each month, and you get to choose how much you give. But if you give in any amount, it unlocks bonus content, like extra audio for this episode. And one of the things that we talk about is her recent coverage of a major breaking story about a church here in the Chicago area. Um, you said, you know, does that involve showing up at churches when there's no scandal to cover? Mm-hmm. And I would say that I showed up at Willow Creek for 15 years yeah. when there was no scandal to cover, and I've covered stories there, and that did not affect their level of trust in me when I came out with that story. And so I'm happy to talk about that. Um, I, I had that in the back of my mind, but I wasn't sure whether or not that would be. So I wanted to gesture towards it without naming it specifically. Um, yeah. Do you want to take a minute and just do a pickup on that? Because uh, maybe not for the main show, but for the Patreon feed, the little extra bit, maybe if you're willing to get into that, I'd love to. Yeah, I'm happy to talk about the Willis story. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. So if you'd like to hear more of that conversation and the rest of the bonus audio, please go to patreon.com slash not seen radio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash not seen radio and sign up as a monthly subscriber. And as always, thank you so much for listening. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on the religion beat. So at the top of the show, you made a quip about this was a time when reporters still got paid for doing extra work. And without opening any old wounds or going into any sort of bad territory, it is clear that religion reporting is changing because journalism has changed in the past 5, 10, 15 years. I wonder if you wouldn't mind giving us some broad strokes about how those changes have affected newsrooms as you've been a participant over the past decade and a half. Yeah, no no old wounds being reopened. I reopened it, right? So I love it when you go to dinner with people you don't know and they say, oh, you're a journalist. Wow, your industry is dying. <laughs> I just want to say dessert, please. But it's true. And you have to acknowledge it. And well, journalism isn't dying. It's changing, just as every industry is changing. And journalists are not immune to that. And I would say that certainly my time at the Tribune, I've seen it change. I've seen my own beat change. You know, stories that would get pitched for page one 15 years ago and would sail onto the front page just don't even make it to the paper anymore. So it, it, which is kind of interesting, has been kind of interesting to watch and an interesting moving target to try to aim for. But I would say that when I joined the Tribune, it was much more of a national approach to religion and anything that was happening, you know, in the Catholic Church worldwide, you would write about. Now it's really how much of a role does the Archdiocese of Chicago play? It's much more local, much more of a local focus. To be quite honest, in Chicago, that doesn't limit the stories that I do. It helps me focus a little bit more because trying to cover the local angle as well as the national or global angle was too much for one reporter. Or, you know, at one point we did have two reporters on the beat and it was too much for two. So it it has helped me focus. And I still turn down really great stories because I just can't fit them in. I would say, though, that religion writing, the focus 
on religion writing in newsrooms across the country has also shifted. There wasn't much of a focus or much of an emphasis or much of an understanding on the part of editors as to its importance until, sadly, September 11th. I think it has ebbed and flowed, but I entered the profession around the September 11th terrorist attacks. There was certainly a craving for more knowledge about Islam at that point. And so I think that was a bit of a boon for religion reporters to be able to say, hey, I'm a specialist, I know this stuff, and I can be your expert. And so editors were really happy to have religion writers on staff. And then it's just kind of, again, it's ebbed and flowed. You know, the interest in that has has waned not until evangelical Christians really stepped up and voted Donald Trump into office. And there was a lot of head-scratching about that and the need to understand that. And I think editors have turned to their religion writers, if they still have religion writers in their newsroom. I think they've turned to those experts again to, to try to understand that and to break it down and to, to really understand. And then I think that also just the immigration issue has sparked a lot of interest just simply because a lot of there is a lot of religious activism around what people are seeing, how people are seeing the immigration policies here implemented under this administration. Now, recently, my wife and I watched All the President's Men, mm-hmm. which is a newspaper-centric movie. And it looks at the life of a newsroom from behind the scenes and the ways that stories get pitched and killed and all of that. But I think for our listeners who maybe only have access to how the news comes to them by things like movies and television, if you could briefly just walk us through what it's like to have an idea for a story and then to get that past an editor so that it makes it to the pages of a newspaper. Mm-hmm. What's that process like? So I'll start, I'll, I'll use the Catholic Charities story as an example. They pitched a story. They said, you know, we're opening these showers for the homeless on Monday. We'd like for you to come. So, you know, I, it's pretty simple, actually. I floated it by my editor. Um, the editors were intrigued. And I think it was, you know, the Pope, Fran- everybody loves a story about Pope Francis. The homeless population is certainly an issue that needs to be covered very regularly in this city. I think, and then just the the overall interest in that, there was, it's really, there's an intangible factor, an intangible element to some of these stories that often we journalists, we curmudgeons boil down to, will it do well on the web? But that really, it is. I mean, there's, it's an intangible element. You know, does it have what it takes that readers will click on that and read it and engage with that. And I think that's what, you know, the editors said, yes, you know, can you fit it into all that you have on your plate? I said, of course. I put in a photo assignment, showed up, but also it was a matter of writing it quickly and getting it up on the web quickly, no time to waste, and getting those photos up and, and then sharing it on social media and really, you know, generating the interest. That's what's also changed about this is that it falls on us now. The onus falls on the reporters to get that story out there and generate the audience for it. That that was not our responsibility before, and it's much more so now. And by doing well on the web, you mentioned, I'm going to take a stab here and say that includes shareability, the, the possibility of going viral, the fact that people will click on it and not just read it, but also pass it on to others. Is that all what we're talking about here? It's all, yes, absolutely. And, and read it. I mean, not just click. You know, people, again, you know, we curmudgeons boil it down to, you know, clickbait. Will it get clicks? But that's not all. It's, will it be engaging to readers? Will they read it from beginning to end? And yes, will they share it? Will this be something that, yeah, catches on? Well, but 
the rapidity, the speed with which you now have to do that, the market driving that desire to turn the the story around quickly, that has an effect on things like making sure the facts are straight. And I'm, I'm certainly not in any way saying that you don't check your facts or anything like that. But I'm asking instead, have you seen now that there's a pressure to rush to press or to rush to post? Does that affect your ability sometimes to be on top of the facts as much as you'd like, and how do you balance that? I don't let go of that responsibility, and sometimes that probably makes me slower than my editors would like. But no, you you have to be on top of it from the get-go. You know, make sure those names are spelled correctly as you're reporting, right? You're fact-checking as you're reporting so that it's not an issue. And so, yes, I, that's certainly because there is that pressure to get it out there. I will admit, I used to file stories so that the editors could start reading them and I could fact check as they read, right? And go behind them and then say, you know, oh, can you tweak that name? Can you do this? Can't do that anymore. Because if you do that, if you take that risk, you walk up to your editor and he says, yeah, it's been online for 30 minutes. I went ahead and pushed it online. Ah! You know, (laughs) you don't want that to happen. And so you have to really be confident when you file that story to your editor for that first read um, in the facts that are there. I would say the, the limitation that I have felt the most is, you know, I like to go a little bit more in depth. I like to get multiple voices in the story. I like to give get a little context in there. And sometimes... There's just not time. You just have to get a story out. Now, often they will update that story. If, if I do have more to say or more I want to say, they'll let me update it. But, um, you know, it's that I, I like to just I like to have the full product out there the first go around. And that's just not realistic. I have to let go of that, too. <laughs> so sometimes when you're you're hearing reporting about reporting, you'll hear terms like breaking the story or scoops or those sorts of things. When we hear that as laypersons just reading the news or absorbing the news, I'm not sure that we always know what that means. But what does that mean and what kind of currency does that have in the reporting world? It has huge currency. And you know what? It always did. That has not changed. Well, first of all, what do those terms mean to break a story, to, to scoop something? So when you break a story, you have it first. You're delivering the news first to the audience and then others are following along. But you broke it. The scoop is basically, you got the scoop. You broke it. You, you had it first. And now everybody else is chasing you. That is, you always want to be the first. That has always been true, especially in the reporting process. You know, if there is a, I shouldn't use crime as an example, but, you know, if there's been a terrible crime and everybody's heading to the crime scene, you really want to get there first because you really want to reveal some secrets here, but you want to get there before the tape goes up, before everybody goes on guard as the media swarm descends. You want to be the first on the scene so that you can start to build relationships with people and get stuff that is going to be cordoned off and, you know, restricted once all the media gets there. So it gives you, if you get there first and you get it first, that increases the amount of access you're going to have going forward. So that's always been important in the news. But, you know, also I would say in religion reporting, there is a currency to depth and understanding. And so if you don't break it, it's not the end of the world, you might actually explain it much better than others will. However, people may not be reading your wonderful explanations if you didn't break it first. So it's this fine balance that you're playing. You're all the time. You mentioned something just a moment ago that I'd like to go deeper on. You mentioned the word relationship. Mm -hmm. And what role do relationships, and I'm asking specifically now about 
both long-term relationships, but also relationships that are established in the moment maybe of a crisis. Mm -hmm. What role do those kinds of relationships play, and how does a reporter go about establishing them, maintaining them, those sorts of things? Being human. I mean, I think that that's that's what it takes is that, you know, you, you show up on the scene of the crime. You don't rush up to the mother who just lost their child and say, how do you feel? You, you know, that's not human. You were humane. You go, you engage with them and Hey, you may not get a quote from her and that's okay. But you just, you enter the situation as a human being and try to get as many details as possible without doing harm. And I think that that's how you build relationships in a crisis Long-term relationships built over time, acting, again, like a human being and responsibly over time so that people observe and see that you are a responsible reporter and they can trust you. They can trust you with their story. And is that a matter of, hey, you showed up at our church when there was no scandal and you did reporting on us when there was no scandal and now we're willing to trust you when there is? Or is it less tangible, more tangible than that? I'm not even sure what question I'm asking. (laughs) I would say it's less tangible than that. We are news reporters, so we can't always show up at a church when there's no news. In the ideal world, of course, you you try to do that. But given the pressures of the job, that's really hard to do these days. And I would say it's just a matter of, of just building a track record across religious traditions, not necessarily with one church in particular, just building a track record that people hopefully will see they can trust your reporting, the quality of your reporting. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune newspaper. We'll be back in a moment. Things Not Seen is brought to you in part by Liturgical Press. Liturgical Press is a trusted publisher of resources on liturgy, scripture, theology, and spirituality. They've evolved to serve the changing needs of the Christian church, and they produce resources for pastoral leaders, teachers, engaged learners, and all leaders looking for quality books on faith and culture. Lit Press books are available at your favorite book retailer and online at litpress.org. That's litpress.org. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune. We're discussing her career and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on the religion beat. A subject that has come up several times in our conversation is the notion of reporters who have a depth of understanding of religion and religious practices, either because they're practitioners themselves or because they've gone to school and have some kind of formal academic training in this. That's really kind of where I want to go next with this, because I think that there's sometimes a thought, and I encounter this sometimes around the Thanksgiving dinner table, that everybody is an expert in religion. And as long as you just show up and you're participating, that makes you as much of an expert as someone who maybe has gone to school or has some kind of formal training. And so that's kind of where I want to start is kind of how do you, how do you think about this in terms of the expertise that's necessary to do good religion reporting? I think the expertise is in journalism first. The ability to ask questions, the ability to, again, listen with an open mind, open ear. And then that translates or dovetails well with religion expertise because you're 
you're able to dive deeper with that religion expertise. You're able to, and also understand not just religion expertise when it comes to, you know, the academic side of it, but observations of religious practice. An important lesson that a mentor of mine taught me is that you ask five practitioners of a particular religious tradition what a particular ritual means, and you will get five different answers. And I think that that is something that, as religion reporters, we know that. That's part of our expertise, is that you don't just take you don't just take the word of the attorney general and what that scripture means. You know that it means different things for different people and there are different interpretations. And so you take that's the expertise that religion writers, I believe, bring to the table. Well, and you mentioned the attorney general. And so we're recording this just a few days after Attorney General Jeff Sessions stood at the podium and quoted Romans 13 as a justification for some of the immigration policies that are currently being enacted on the southern border. What was the reaction Uh, both in the newsroom to that, but also since you are connected to other religion reporters, and we'll talk a little bit more in depth about that in just a moment, what was the reaction amongst religion reporters when he made this claim? Uh, (laughs) Jaw-dropping, a lot of jaw-dropping, that, you know, he was making this claim and then just, just taking a piece of scripture and using it to his benefit, when actually... One could say that it undermined his argument uh, and that that was the wrong scripture. He, he, was, he was ill-advised on that line. And I think that it was, it was also a, an opportunity for religion reporters to do a little bit of a, <laughs> um, well, exp- explaining what we do, what we do best. And I think it was an opportunity to explain. And then also an opportunity to talk to, again, activists from different Christian traditions on what that scripture means to them, how have they used it in the past, what is, you know, what is their interpretation? So. so at the top of the show, I said that one of your roles is as president currently of the Religion News Association. And briefly, if you could tell my listeners what the Religion News Association is that you're president of and how it relates to religion news service and what the differences are. So the Religion News Service is, is really what the associate, is, is the Associated Press of Religion Journalism. It does national, global religion coverage, and their entire staff are specialized religion reporters. The Religion News, so the members, or I should say the staff members of RNS, are hopefully, and I'm pretty sure they are, members of the Religion News Association. And that is a group, a trade group of all of our colleagues across the religion writing world uh, and also broadcast and you know, all the different media platforms that are out there, religion specialists. And that's our, it's like the Society of Professional Journalists for Religion Writers only. We do training and development um, and try to just push our colleagues forward um, and get them thinking, get them forward thinking on how they can raise the profile of religion reporting in their individual newsrooms and how they can just dive deeper when it comes to religion. So if a listener has read a story on religion, it's likely that that might have been written and pushed out by the religion news service or by someone on the religion news service. But the writer of that might be a member of the professional guild, the Religion News Association. Have exactly. I got that distinction correct? Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, then, as as a person who's not only involved in the writing of religion, but also helping to promote the professionalization of religion reporting, what are some of the things that the RNA does to help to make sure that religion reporting continues to 
increase in quality. So we, we do an annual conference. That's our big, big thing that we do every year where we meet on an annual basis and we put together panels and workshops. Uh, we bring in experts. We bring in big names in the religion world that religion writers may not otherwise have access to, to just talk about and explain their points of view on what's in the news. And it's an opportunity for all of us to kind of compare notes, but also cover stories and get a leg up on on stories in the religion world. And then we do those kinds of professional development opportunities throughout the year, whether it's online or just a regional kind of meeting. I will say that's another way that, unfortunately, that newsrooms have or that the Tribune newsroom has changed over the 15 years I've been there is when I first got to the Tribune, what I would do is I would pitch a list of stories that I would be able to to bring back from the RNA conference, and then the Tribune would send me to the conference and and pay for that. That is not the case anymore. I go on my own dime, or as uh, or on scholarships, which is become you know the way that a lot of people go to the annual conferences is scholarships that come from the Religion News Foundation, yet another entity, but uh, an important entity, an increasingly important entity to continue professional development in newsrooms. So I'm going to get to a second part of this question by taking a quick detour to Washington, D.C. I was in Washington last week and had the privilege of of having lunch with some of the directors of the new Smithsonian Institution Museum on African American Culture and History. And in particular, I was sitting down with the people that do the study of religions and spirituality within that museum. And in asking them about that, I I then got a chance to tour the museum, and I said, is there any place I should be looking specifically to see your work? And they said the museum made a decision to highlight this in every aspect of what they're doing, to highlight the religion and spiritual aspect, but there's not a a section of the museum that's like African-American religion and spirituality. And that brings me into now my second follow-up question about religion reporting, is that sometimes we can do reporting on religion as a subject or some aspect, but also religion, as you've mentioned here in Chicago, weaves into so much of civic life. To what extent are you doing one-off focused stories, and to what extent are you able to bring a religious perspective into what otherwise would be a more secular piece of reporting? I wish I could do the latter more. That's a goal of mine, is to to really kind of become a trainer or developer in our newsroom so that the city hall reporter doesn't overlook an important religious aspect to a story, or so that you know, an immigration reporter doesn't overlook the important religious aspect, or the transportation reporter doesn't overlook an important religious aspect. And I think that that is part of the role of a religion writer. I, I don't necessarily do one-offs. I, I tend to do stories that have legs, that you know are big stories, and that naturally are going to intersect with other cultural, political phenomena. I mean, the the Willow Creek story intersects with the Me Too movement and also just the role of evangelical Christianity in today's society, a very powerful role. Other story, again, the Catholic Charities story, you know, intersects with the homeless issue that we have here in Chicago. You can't avoid those intersections, but I don't think they all should fall to the religion writer. I think that there should be Yes, that, that actually all writers should be should have some component of religious sensitivity and training in their wheelhouse so that they can so they don't overlook religion stories. Well, since you mentioned it, how can we help to equip reporters generally to have that kind of sensitivity that you're talking about? Mm. 
Who is we? Well, I guess <laughs> uh, you mentioned the more secular professional society and I, the national journalists something or other. Um, mm-hmm. To what extent is this on their radar? Are they concerned about this as a question? Yeah, so I, I think that slowly some professional journalism organizations are are waking up to the need to understand religion. And I think that they're definitely, again, as another, I say that it's a goal of mine in the Tribune newsroom, it's also a goal of mine as the president of RNA, is to partner with some of these organizations, be it investigative reporters and editors, society of professional journalists, business journalists. I think that the partnership of some of those organizations and the kind of co-development of some programs that will wake up people to the intersection of religion and their beat would be helpful. And that is something that I would like to see in the years to come. Well, since I've been here in Chicago, I am aware that there have been many reporters on the religion beat at various organizations, both print and media generally. Some of them have left those positions and have not been replaced. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the NPR reporter that was here and others that, uh, that they no longer have a staff reporter. Is this a trend? Is this just belt tightening as a result of the industry kind of going through its reimagining of itself? Or is this the permanent condition that we're sort of left with a very diminished amount of reporters with a specific expertise in religion? I think that it is belt tightening. And I think that there is kind of a trend toward eliminating reporters with particular expertise, be it environmental, be it religion. Fortunately, the Tribune has not made those decisions to such a degree. We still have specialists in the newsroom, thank goodness. But I I do think that other media organizations have done some belt tightening. That said, I think other reporters, general assignment reporters, or maybe an immigration reporter, they have kind of picked up and started covering the religion angles to some of these stories. But like, for example, at WBEZ, the NPR affiliate, you know, yes, you're right. Jason DeRose was the longtime religion reporter there, and he moved on to to other NPR, another NPR station. Um, But other reporters there have have picked up on religion, you know, reporters that cover immigration or particular communities that don't ignore the role that religion plays in those communities. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune newspaper. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during that time as a reporter on the religion beat. We'll be back in a moment. So for those of you that are longtime listeners to Things Not Seen, you may be aware that I do another show called The Francis Effect with my friend Dan Haran. He's a Franciscan priest. Every couple of weeks, he and I get together to bring you commentary on current events from a perspective informed by our Catholic faith. Now, Dan, why should I be talking to you? Who are you? Who am I? I'm a Franciscan friar, a Roman Catholic priest, and a professor of theology here in Chicago. And that's a good question. I have no idea why you should be talking with me. But if people are interested in what a conversation between you, the otherwise uh, respectable host of Things Not Seen, and me, the not-so-respectable Roman Catholic priest and theologian, I think they should tune in. Yeah, they should definitely tune in. So that's The Francis Effect, and you can find it at francisfxpod.com. This is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Each week on our program, we bring you a rich conversation about culture and faith. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. For the past 15 years, she's covered religion for the Chicago Tribune newspaper. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on the religion beat. 
Well, we've been talking around this question, and so I think I should just ask it. Are you comfortable, first of all, with me asking you whether or not you have a religious tradition yourself, a faith tradition? I am. I am comfortable with that. And it's it's part of what brought me to religion reporting to begin with. I mentioned earlier that I grew up in North Carolina and Texas, where if you weren't Baptist, what the heck were you? I was Jewish, and but that was not something that I advertised growing up because people didn't understand Judaism. Uh, I didn't understand it probably well enough myself to really explain it, so I wasn't going to be the one to explain it. And kind of grew up in a in a community in a in a culture where, you know, it just didn't benefit you to advertise that you were Jewish. I preferred to have friends, and so I just I went that way and didn't really practice. Not until I got to college did I really start exploring my Judaism, and then you know when I discovered religion writing and the potential in religion writing and the greater purpose I could serve as a journalist. That was when I really started to delve into my own faith, very much because I saw the beauty and richness that it added to others' lives to delve into their beliefs and realized that, yeah, that was that was something that was missing from my own and really remained open to different religious traditions, but found that I had a very Jewish sensibility and I am what I am. So I have really enjoyed kind of celebrating and learning that uh, aspect of my life. I call myself a Jew in progress because I'm constantly working on it. But I didn't want other little girls to grow up in Texas and North Carolina afraid to talk about their Judaism because no one understands it. And so that's kind of the greater purpose I thought I could bring with my journalism. And if I'm hearing you correctly, it was your work in journalism that helped to reconnect you to those aspects and to deepen them. It really was. Yeah, it really was. I think that's wonderful. (laughs) We're recording this sort of at the midway point of 2018. And I'm wondering as we look towards, if you will, the back half of the year on towards 2019, Are there things that are on the horizon that you think will be recurring stories that have already come up or that will be stories that we haven't heard about yet but that are developing? I think this nation's immigration policy is going to be a huge religion story. It already is, and I think it will continue to be. I think the outrage over separating children from their parents at the borders just It just resembles the stories of mothers of the Nazi guards taking children away from their mothers to to the showers or for whatever reason. I think that that resemblance, it's just too too strong. And I think that the religious community will just not, will just get louder and louder and louder on that issue. The whole idea of welcoming the stranger, I think, will really rise to the forefront of everybody's mind. And the religious community won't stop until it does. So I think that's the, that will be the story to follow until the end of this year. If you're just joining us, this is Things Not Seen. I'm David Dalt. Our guest today is Manya Brashear-Pashman. We're discussing her career, what got her into journalism, and the changes she's seen during her time as a reporter on the religion beat. I'm struck by a question that I've wanted to ask you at several points in this conversation, and so I'm just going to ask it now. Because there have been points in our conversation where it's been clear to me that there's a lot of emotion there for you around a topic or a story, Mm -hmm. and I think appropriately so. Mm -hmm. But that strikes me that as a person committed to a certain ethic of journalism, you have to find a way to take that and put it to the side sometimes. Yes. I'm just asking for an internal 
gut check on what that process is like. And is it is it always something that's easy or is it something that you struggle with sometimes to put that very righteous indignation or anger to the side? Yeah, I will say the, the immigration stories have made it very difficult. The Muslim ban stories made it incredibly difficult. But I also believe that there are people who don't don't think the Muslim ban is all that bad, who don't think the immigration policy is all that bad, and you know, there needs to be some enforcement of the borders, and they believe that, and they are just as faithful and devoted to God as those who disagree with them. And I respect that, and I do try to listen to them, and I try to listen to their arguments, and I try to reflect those arguments in the stories that I do. That said, a lot of people who make those arguments— when you ask them why or you ask them to explain themselves, they quote inaccurate information. They say, well, you know, you know they, they're not really being taken away from their parents. These are adults that kidnapped these kids so that they would be seen as more, you know, more sympathetic when they got to the border. No, that's not correct. <laughs> so, you know, as long as people are, are basing their ideas on facts, that's, you know, I, I think that those are beliefs that should be, should be listened to and acknowledged and considered. I, I really do believe that everybody's viewpoint should be considered as long as it's based in fact. As you've been doing this for the past 15 years, I wonder if you would be willing to share with us what keeps you hopeful and optimistic in this work. Well, gosh, the point I just made sounded really hopeless. That's why I wanted to ask. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what keeps me hopeful are the people who are committed to facts and committed to listening and listening to different viewpoints and not so concerned about shouting at each other, not so committed to having their points heard. I would say what keeps me hopeful is that there are so many smart, committed journalists out there who are committed to fact-finding and are committed to holding leaders accountable. Um, do have righteous indignation about doing the right thing and making sure that people are well-informed. That gives me hope. They are coming out of college, they are coming out of graduate school, and they are going into the newsroom with no illusions that, that they are you know, going to make millions of dollars, they come in knowing that they're doing a public service. And I think the more we celebrate that, the more we make sure that those people are treated well in the newsroom and compensated fairly for their public service, I think that that, that gives me hope. Well, Manya Brashir Pashman, ever since I got to Chicago and discovered your work, I have been a fan. I am informed by it. I am enlivened and and I am inspired by the ethic that you bring to the way that you do reporting. And it has been just a thrill for me to sit down and talk to you. And I just want to say thank you so much. Thank you, David. It's been a thrill to talk to you. We've been speaking today to Manya Brashear-Pashman. In 2003, she joined the staff at the Chicago Tribune newspaper as their religion reporter. During her time at the Tribune, she's helped chronicle two papal transitions from Rome, the Dalai Lama's visits to Chicago, Protestant debates about gay clergy, progress and pitfalls of interfaith dialogue, and the emerging role of religion in American politics. She earned a bachelor's degree from Appalachian State University and a master's degree in journalism and religious studies from Columbia University. She also has written for Time Magazine, the Dallas Morning News, BeliefNet.com, and the News and Observer in Raleigh, North Carolina. 
Things Not Seen is produced by Sandberg Media, LLC. We're distributed nationally by PRX, the public radio exchange. Today's show was recorded at the William Adams Studios in beautiful Hyde Park, here on the south side of Chicago. Our studios have a home courtesy of the Zygon Center for Religion and Science, part of the Lutheran School of Theology at Chicago. Neither Zygon nor LSTC is responsible for the content of this program. Our theme music is composed by Gene Keija. Our show is made possible in part through the generosity of our supporters on Patreon. You can find out how to help us create great programs by going to patreon.com slash notseenradio. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash notseenradio. You can follow us on Twitter at notseenradio. Visit us on Facebook and like our page to receive regular updates about the show and to find out more about our guests. That's facebook.com slash thingsnotseenradio. And you can sign up for the free podcast, listen to old shows, send us an email, and find out more about our guests if you visit us on the web at thingsnotseenradio.com. I'm David Dalt, and we'll be back next week with more conversations about culture and faith. Please join us. Please join us.